లవింగ్ సాయిరామ్ అండ్ గ్రీటింగ్స్ ఫ్రమ్ ప్రశాంతి నిలయం ఐ వెల్కమ్ యూ వన్స్ అగైన్ టు దిస్ స్పెషల్ సిరీస్ ఆఫరింగ్ రిఫ్లెక్షన్స్ ఆన్ స్వామీస్ ఇన్వాల్యుబుల్ బుక్ ధర్మవాహిని ఐ హోప్ యూ రికాల్ వే వీ లెఫ్ట్ ఆఫ్ లాస్ట్ టైమ్ జస్ట్ టు రిఫ్రెష్ యువర్ మెమరీ ఐ ఎండెడ్ విత్ స్వామీస్ కోర్ట్ which i repeat again quote dharma cannot be restricted to any particular society or nation for it is closely bound up with the fortunes of the entire living world dharma is a flame of light that can never be extinguished it is untrammeled in its beneficent action Krishna taught the Gita to Arjuna but actually he intended it for the whole of humanity Arjuna was just an excuse that very Gita is today correcting all mankind it is not for any particular caste religion or nation in fact it is the very breath for humans everywhere end of quote that was the quote i offered you towards the end of my last talk now if you examine carefully the following points emerge from that quote one the whole of humanity and indeed every single human being is bound by dharma it is wrong to assume that dharma is restricted to any country race community sect people professing any particular faith etc Swami adds that the Bhagavad Gita is in fact all about dharma. We will hear more about it later. Three, the third point and this is very important. Gita and therefore dharma are absolutely indispensable for today's society. Four, finally dharma is the very breath of life. In other words, life that is adharmic. is no life at all a person whose life is characterized by constant violation of dharma is as good as dead we now come to the core concepts concerning dharma before i quote swami on this rather important topic maybe i could prepare the ground by making some clarifying remarks to start with i should mention that where dharma is concerned there is a fundamental principle to start with and this fundamental principle is followed by practical considerations so there are two aspects the principle and the practical when we hear this for the first time we tend to feel rather confused but actually there is no need for any confusion let me explain it this way now almost all countries have a written constitution Of course there is one famous exception and that is Britain the constitution of any country defines the basics and within these basics the country frames laws and this is usually done via a legislative process laws passed by the legislatures are called acts and they are supposed to be in full conformity with the constitution of the country Sometimes there are disputes whether the act passed by the parliament is actually in conformity with the constitution 
or is in violation of it. If there is such a dispute, a case is filed before the Supreme Court, which is usually the final judicial authority. The Supreme Court decides whether the act in question is in violation of the Constitution or not. This is the way the entire administrative, legislative and judicial process works. With this preamble, we are all set to hear what Swami says next. Now, when I offer you this quote, watch out for two key words. The first is Atma Dharma and second is Achara Dharma or Practical Dharma. Over now to Swami. The Atma Dharma, the Divine Dharma, is what I am speaking of. Practical Dharma or Achara Dharma relates to temporary matters such as day-to-day problems, physical needs, to man's passing relationships with the objective world, etc. The very instrument of those rules, the human body, is itself not permanent. How then can these issues, all of which are related to practical dharma, be ever eternal? How can their nature be described as true? End of quote. Let us try to digest what you have just heard. It all boils down to what I referred to earlier, namely a fundamental principle and the practical application of that fundamental principle to day-to-day matters. The fundamental or the basic principle is called Atma Dharma and it is clear that this has to be the same for all. I mean, we cannot have one basic principle for one person and another basic principle for another. Thus, according to Swami, Atma Dharma is the same for all, from the king to the pauper. That is, Atma Dharma cannot be changed and it is non-negotiable. This is important. What it says is, we can't have one basic principle today and another tomorrow and yet another the day after and so on. On the other hand, the practical application could well depend on situations that keep on changing. For example, 200 years ago, there was no meaning in asking the question, is it okay or not okay to travel in a train without a ticket? The question was meaningless at that point because there simply were no railway trains then. I hope you follow the point. The point is simply that the basic principle is always the same. However, in the practical application, one could keep on encountering new situations all the time and every time one encounters a new situation, one must analyze starting from first principles. So, it all boils down to how exactly does one apply this fundamental principle to practical and real-life situations. There can be real sticky situations, you know. And let me give you an example. Let us say there is a patient who is in a coma and is kept alive in a ventilator-come-life-support system. The patient is literally a vegetable, that is to say brain-dead. The patient has been kept alive like this using the life support system for years and years. Now suddenly a new patient comes to this hospital and this is an emergency case. 
a ventilator and life support system is urgently needed for this person also and there is none available except the one in which the brain dead person is kept now if that is given to the second person he might survive and recover and even lead a normal life however to provide the second patient the facility required the brain dead person would have to be pulled out of the life support system which means that the brain dead person would actually die and immediately so what does the doctor do he is caught in a real fix the first patient sure needs the system and came there first however the patient the person is brain dead while the second person is not that said the second person is in a serious condition and badly needs a life support system without it the second person is dead but with it the person could survive and even lead a normal life so does the doctor vote for the brain dead person who according to medical opinion will never wake up from the vegetable state or does he vote for the second person who might even lead a normal life later this is what is called a moral dilemma or dharma sankatam this is a real tough problem and this is where the person has to ask sharp questions and seek the answers from the conscience by the way i gave you earlier a list of questions that should be asked before we act those questions are just indicative and they would have to be tuned to each situation in an appropriate manner in this case the doctor concerned who obviously would know the right questions to ask would have to handle the situation with extreme sensitivity okay we now come to the main point which is what on earth is this sacred basic principle there is no point in talking about it unless we know what that principle is so this is a fair question to ask and in fact it is only when we know the basic principle fully we can ask the right questions related to every situation that one might encounter since i used the word atma dharma earlier instead of the word basic principle the question becomes what is this atma dharma and why is it so important that is what we have to discuss now what is this atma dharma and why is it so important before i deal with that i want you to listen to the following quote from swami and i quote the eternal cannot be expressed by the evanescent truth cannot reveal itself in untruth light cannot be procured from darkness the eternal can emerge only from the eternal truth can emanate only from truth therefore the objective codes of dharma relating to worldly activities and daily life though important in their own sphere have to be followed with the full knowledge and consciousness of the inner basic atma dharma then only can the internal and external urges cooperate and yield the bliss of harmonious progress end of quote this is a very important quote and i do hope you pay close attention to that the essence of it is the following whatever be the nature of the practical action taken to meet the demands of a particular situation it must always be 
completely in alignment with Atma Dharma. Now let us try to digest that. As Swami often reminds us, the human being is a mixture of the eternal, namely the Atma, and the transient, namely the body. Seen in this light, the body is something like a dress worn by the eternal Atma for the purpose of playing a particular role as a particular person for a short while. I suppose you would not find it difficult to accept that. Now what makes the whole thing a bit more complex and also interesting is the presence of the mind. You see, the human being is not just a body plus Atma. Rather, the human being is body plus the mind and the Atma. It is the mind that makes the whole thing a lot more complicated. I hope to later on come to the crucial role played by the mind. But for the moment, let us go back to the Swami quote. He says, The eternal cannot be expressed by the evanescent. Truth cannot reveal itself in untruth. Light cannot be procured from darkness. The eternal can emerge only from the eternal. Truth can emanate only from truth. Now what these words of Swami tell us is that when an action is performed by the transient body, guided and aided perhaps by the equally transient mind, it would be like candlelight at the best, light that can be blown off and get extinguished. Surely, we cannot let that happen, can we? Swami wants our actions should reflect the permanent and not the transient. Only then would the action be really in accordance with truth. Why must actions be in harmony with truth? For the simple and elementary reason that truth is God and thus also eternal. Keeping all this mind, let us now try and connect the dots. We have firstly the following facts. 1. We may appear to have a human form, but in reality the body is a mere dress covering the eternal and intangible Atma. This is just another way of saying we are not the body but the eternal Atma. 2. The body is transient and exists in a world that is itself transient. 3. However, though the body, the action, the world in which the action is being performed are all transient, the flavor of the action must always be eternal. These are the dots. Now, how do we connect this? This is what Swami tells us. 1. Although it is the transient body that performs the action in an equally transient world, and although the action itself might have been triggered by something that happened in the world, yet something far beyond must govern our actions. That something far beyond is a basic principle called Atma Dharma. 3. Atma Dharma simply means action that is in full conformity with the nature of the Atma. 4. What is the nature of the Atma? In simple words, Atma is pure love and limitless compassion. 5. In turn, all this means that to the extent possible, every single action of ours must flow from pure love and a sense of divine compassion. Now, for many people, the word Dharma is nothing new. Indeed, until recently when religion and values suddenly became unfashionable, Dharma was an accepted and even treasured value. Yet, 
strange as it might seem, not many really understood what exactly dharma meant. And that includes even scholars well versed in the Gita. That is why we must really consider ourselves most fortunate that Swami has come to our rescue by explaining to us what precisely dharma means. I'll have more to say about this later on, but let us move on. What comes through very emphatically from all that has been said thus far is that though our actions might be in this world and might be guided by worldly considerations, yet the basic principle guiding our actions, no matter what they are, must be rooted without fail in the atmic nature of human being. All this might sound very strange, but please do not forget that it was God as Krishna who first said all this to Arjuna 5,000 years ago. And it is that same God who is repeating that very same message to us. So we really need to pause and take in all this slowly. Maybe I can explain all this a bit better using an example. Recently, the issue of fake medicines and drugs has assumed alarming magnitude. Sad to say, most of the fake drugs are apparently coming from China and India. That India is involved in this wretched business is a matter of deep regret, considering the wonderful Dharmic tradition this country has boasted of for thousands of years. And when we remember this is the land of Rama, Krishna, Buddha, Shirdi Baba and of course our beloved Swami, this news is absolutely shocking. Let us set aside this painful aspect for a moment and go into the root cause for this problem. Now why are some people stooping so low as to make and market fake drugs? All for making a fast buck as they say. The manufacturers of fake drugs argue, what are you griping about? People are making a killing in the market all the time, if they can get away with it. Is there any legitimate reason for crude oil to be as expensive as it really is? Take other commodities like coffee for example. People buy coffee beans at a very low price in some African countries and then sell that very same coffee at such a great price in the world market. People use cheap labor to make garments at very low cost and make huge profits by selling these. It's all a question of making profit. That's the way the market operates. Why should you be so aghast against this business we are in? We are not compelling people to buy our products, are we? This is of course an ingenious kind of non-argument and yet this is the way things are. Of course, we can argue that unlike in the case of garments, carpets and so on, in the case of fake drugs, the health and indeed the life of the patient is at stake. Very true. But on the other hand, very often in the other cases like garments, for example, the labor conditions are deplorable. That is why such garment factories are called sweatshops. There, it's the labor that is being taken for a ride and cheated massively. And add to it the fact that poor working conditions often ruin the health of the workers involved. Who can say it's all dharmic? The term market does not convert adharma into dharma. And that is what one has to be very careful about. Now let us consider the production of small arms like machine guns and so on. 
there is a huge arms industry mostly in the developed countries and they all do a thriving business in the sale of such weapons it is argued that all this is legitimate not forbidden by law etc now cut to africa where millions have been killed in the last 15 years or so thanks to all kinds of conflicts between tribes between countries etc most of the killings being gruesome indeed right now some of the people involved are being tried for genocide people say what's wrong with that these are murderers and deserve to be punished i am not disputing that however i would like to pick up another point now the un appointed a committee to consider the entire issue of unregulated sale of small arms in huge quantities in africa which unquestionably aided and helped in promoting and sustaining widespread conflicts killing etc the chairman of the committee was an african and the members included many from the developed countries the chairman pleaded you gentlemen from rich countries why don't you for heaven's sake refrain from selling your weapons in this part of the world go and make your profit elsewhere the chairman's appeal makes eminent sense but the reps of the rich countries strongly objected making all kinds of arguments about having their market share etc once again it's all about markets i don't want to go into the gory details these are all in the public domain my intention is to place all this in the context of atma dharma you might wonder what can international trade in small arms have to do with atma dharma well that precisely is the question i am now going to deal with because that would explain why and how atma dharma is so very important and how it affects everything including matters that appear to be very remote and unconnected let us go back to the arms bazaar why do people produce guns because according to them there is a market they simply say well there is a demand and that's why we produce and remember the gun production business is largely in the rich countries so they engage in arms business because it yields huge profit however when it comes to drugs like heroin and cocaine since these drugs affect the affluent countries suddenly these merchants of death forget all about the profit motive and they start saying look these drugs are dangerous they kill our young people how can we ever tolerate them growing these crops is immoral and illegal and the conversion of the raw material into the final drugs is utterly criminal the reference is here to poor countries where the plants from which heroin and cocaine are made or grown what about the manufacture of guns and their sale don't guns kill people don't they promote the recruitment of child soldiers and so on of course they do but all that is swept under the rug growing drug producing crops is criminal but making guns and selling them is not criminal this is what double standards are all about in short when convenient all kinds of arguments like market demand etc are used for manufacturing and making products that are manifestly undesirable and these products range all the way from violent films pornography and what not right up to machine guns however when it comes to drugs there is a different yardstick used 
and that is where double standards come up. I don't want to appear partisan favoring countries of the East as against the countries of the West. Wrong is wrong wherever it is committed. Adharma is adharma wherever whoever does it. I want to look at the entire issue in the context of Atma Dharma. Yes, that is right. Are you wondering that Atma Dharma, which is a concept rooted in the Gita taught 5,000 years ago, has relevance to drugs and guns which did not exist then? You bet it does. Let us go over this slowly. What does Atma Dharma teach us? It teaches us that when we want to do anything, we should ask the basic questions. In this case, the relevant and most pertinent question would be, would the product I am making and selling in the market, it could be narcotics or guns, is this based on selfishness or it is not? Would this product harm society in any way or it would not? Am I trying to cover up all that I am trying to do under double standards? More than anything else, will what I want to do bring me truly closer to God? That is the ultimate acid test. Will the action bring me closer to God? When hard and tough questions are asked that way, there is absolutely no doubt the answer would come through loud and clear. To repeat, Atma Dharma is the guiding principle that would fine-tune our actions in such a way as to bring us closer to God. The purpose of life is to return to God. That's what Swami says and not me. So if for a moment you accept what I say about the purpose of life, then both the growing of poppy or making and selling guns are equally to be abhorred. One cannot make the case for just one of the two activities and condemn the other. In short, where Atma Dharma is concerned, there is absolutely no room for any selfishness, etc. Above all, if to God we wish to return, remember that is the purpose of life. If to God we must return, then Atma Dharma is the compass we must always use. Maybe all this leaves you a bit dazed, but don't worry. As we go along, things would become more and more clear. There is actually a simple way of remembering all this. And you know what? Just watch the actions of Swami. Do we ever see Swami do anything that has even a trace of selfishness? No. Why? Because He is the very personification of the Atma. Is it at all ever possible for any avatar to show hatred? No. Why? Because every avatar is the personification of the Atma. And so on it goes. When we look at the whole matter in terms of compassion, ahimsa, kshama, etc. That is why Swami says, watch me closely, for my life is my message. Now you might turn around and say, hey, wait a minute. Swami is God and so he can do all that you say. We cannot. We are mortals. We are mere humans. We are not God. Are you not forgetting that? Well, I ask in return, are you, dear listener, not forgetting that Swami repeatedly tells us that we also are God and that we must rise above the so-called human level so that the divinity latent within us gets revealed? 
Has he not told us that the human form has been specially given to us so that we can follow Atma Dharma and redeem our lives? In the Gita Bahani, Swami says, We all live in the world and we all act on account of worldly considerations and within parameters spelt out by our society, etc. All that is true. However, the basic motivation for the action must always be based on considerations of the eternal. There is no escape from that. Well, that's all for now. And I hope you did not find that dose too heavy. If you did, I am sorry about it. Good luck and see you again next week. Thank you for listening. Jai Sai Ram.